We them guys, let me bring you on the block. This the movie, Red Box. We don't like the Red Sox. Fire hydrants on blast when the town get hot. Drink tequila by the ounce at the hookah spot. If you ain't from here, you cannot survive here. But you with the crew, so you can come disguise here. Step up in our shoes, let us give you the news. And tell you all the things that others who scared to. My city worldwide, so how can I fear you? We wasn't raised on the sick code, I'ma spare you. This is not a scene that you can compare to. You might as well soak it all in while you here, dude. Cause this is the birthplace of rap, R.I.P. the pun. Couple more seconds and the show's begun. I said, birthplace of rap, R.I.P. the pun. Couple more seconds and the show's begun. And that's from the Bronx with love, from the Bronx with. Bronx with love, from the Bronx with. Bronx with love, from the Bronx with. Welcome to From the Bronx with Love, a podcast where we explore pop culture, food, music, and as a bonus, random rants all done with a multicultural lens. We're your hosts, Karen and Dom. Welcome back, everyone, to this lovely podcast. Dom, ¿cómo estás? Bien, ¿y tú? Con frío. (laughs) (laughs) ¿Por qué? (laughs) It's been a couple of like cold days here in New York. It, so it has been, but it's not like my barrier for coldness. Like I can handle it kind of thing. Kind of how you can handle 90 degree weather. And I look at you like you're insane. That's like true. 20 degree weather isn't the coldest for me. When it's down to like nine degrees, then I'm like, uh, and it, there's wind involved. If it's nine degrees and there's wind involved, I'm like, this is, this is punishment. <laughs> you know why I hate those really, really cold days where, where you mentioned that there's a lot of wind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause obviously like it hits my face and I feel like it's just like these needles. Yeah. Attacking my face. But yeah. then also we both wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And so now I adopted the technique that I used to hate back when I was a little girl, mm-hmm. where my mom would put my scarf up to my nose. Yeah, me too. I and then put that. on my hood. So basically all you see is like a little bit like from my eyebrows down to like the middle part of my nose. Now yeah. back then I hated it because I don't know. It's just when you're a child, you know? You're like, I'm cute. <laughs> yeah. Let the world see me. Yeah. <laughs> But now I, I do it because I don't want all this cold air hitting my mm-hmm, face. Mm-hmm. But it's also annoying because my glasses tend to get foggy. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, my biggest issue, um, as you listened in the other one, that I hate like, that I'm getting dry skin. But I yeah. hate tearing up when it is windy. That's my biggest. I tear up so much. I remember one time. This was when I was on the CMSV campus, and it's right on the water. So it's, like, always, like, even five degrees cold. Exactly. And it's it's right on the water, and it's on a hill. And sometimes the wind will come up as you're walking up the hill or walking down the hill, I mean. And I remember I was walking to class, and, like, my professor whose class I was walking to, towards saw me, and we were outside, and I'm tearing up so much. It was freezing. It was, like, January. It was, like, right after the break, and I'm tearing up so much. My professor thought I was crying. And I'm like, no, like, I have, like, my eyes, re- I need goggles when it's like this. Is it because we're, I'm, I don't want to say the word. 
Is it because we're adults now that we feel it more compared to when we were little? Because when we were little, we were like running around all over the place. No, it's because the earth is dying. (laughs) It's because of us. It's because of the human nature and industrialization. Yeah. (laughs) Because you even started feeling what I, the pain that I've been feeling for five years, the pain that I've been (laughs) feeling for five years, you started feeling it last year. Oh, with the summertime? With the summertime. There were like three days where we were like, Tom, I can't do it. You don't even understand the tears of joy. It was like you announced that you were having a baby. That's (laughs) how much I cried. I was like so, I don't even know. Like I can't even explain. I was ecstatic. I was like, this is what they mean by misery loves company. Because I was like, she's finally miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. So now we can be miserable together. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to be miserable together because in the summertime, I hate people. Oh, that's um, true. <laughs> I'm, I'm just really cranky. <laughs> but, but, like, you finally understand where the crankiness comes from. Yes, yes, now I get it. Mm-hmm. But I think in the wintertime, we're, we're similar in some aspects. Yes. Because to get me out of my house, No. If I am in my PJs underneath my blankets, I don't care if you tell me that you're in the bar across the street. I will not leave. I don't care if you tell me you're in the hallway. I'm not leaving. (laughs) (laughs) And compared to the summer, people text me and they're like, yeah, we're meeting up at this bar at 11 p.m. And I'm like, sure, I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more of a homebody all year round. Like, Like I told you, I like really... I take a lot of time in between going out and then for the summertime, it's like people might think Karen's homeless because she's just like roaming around from party to party to party. (laughs) They're like, where does she sleep? Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, we definitely do adopt the more we hibernate. I went into full hibernation mode. I just like, I think I went five days one, one time. No, remember that one time where it snowed and I think we worked from home for like three days or yeah. something like that, where at one point we were like, no, we need to go out because <laughs> this is too much already, even for us. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that, yeah. And we just had a cute little date. I remember that I finally like combed my hair because it was a mess. <laughs> yes. I will say um, I save up on makeup during these moments because I don't put makeup on if no one's seeing my face. This winter, I and I usually buy more than like I'll, I'll stock up. So I'll right. always have like reserves. I have like four um, foundations that I'm prob- that's going to last me a really long time because I'm like... I'm not leaving. No one's seeing me. (laughs) You see, that's me in the summertime because Mm -hmm. I wear less makeup. My face is already oily. Mm -hmm. So with the humidity and the sweating, like I walk out and my makeup is falling. Mm -hmm. So I usually just wear a little bit of concealer and the powder. Whatever. She was basically saying humble brag that she's beautiful and doesn't need it. No, but I'm like, why am I going to waste my my fancy foundation when it's just going to end up melting? Whatever, Karen, whatever. We hear you <laughs> loud and clear. <laughs> but what what TV ha- have you been, like, watching? Because I know that's what we do when that's, we're indoors. Yeah, so, like I said, full hibernation mode, food and television, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I... 
actually have been watching a lot of like um, uh, international shows. Oh my goodness, I've been watching so much. So I started out with the show Sick Note, which is really funny. Um, it's a Netflix original series, but it's based in the UK. So it's a British show. And it has Rupert Grint, the, I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan at all. I'm knowledgeable about Harry Potter. I wouldn't consider myself a fan. Okay, so the the best friend, the redhead. Oh, okay, yes. So he's the lead on in that show, and um, it's like kind of dark comedy, but it's this guy. He's kind of a slacker. Um, his girlfriend's break broke up with him. He doesn't have. He's like a big gamer or whatnot, and um, he goes to the doctor one day and he gets a diagnosis of cancer. And his life, like people in his life, start to pre- appreciate him. His girlfriend got, gets back together with him, and he like legitimately believes he has cancer. And then like surprise, he's misdiagnosed. And like the doctor is like a freaking idiot. And the doctor is like, I don't need. I can't get in trouble anymore. Can you just lie and keep saying you have cancer? So then it looks like I did my job. Oh my god! Yeah, so that's the whole that's the show, and like a lot of crazy things happen in between then for them to like try to hide this secret. That does sound like a good show. It's good. It is good. I didn't think I was gonna like it as much as I did, but it's good. I'm like on a second rewatch right now. And then I watch another Netflix original. I've just been living on Netflix pretty much. Um, <laughs> uh, it's called Dairy Girls. It's about. Um, Catholic school girls, <laughs> Catholic high school girls who are insane. And I was like, I can relate. Although my <laughs> friend, my friends and I never like went on like, like did any of these crazy things, but they are, they're actually insane. They like, <laughs> they are cursing off the nuns. They are in detention. They are peeing in church. Oh. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, don't watch it if you're super Catholic. <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't consider myself super Catholic because yeah, I've watched other shows that are related to yeah. the religion, and I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna watch them. I'm not gonna like be all offended by it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very. It's it's a very ridiculous coming of age show. Um, what else? I also had the pleasure of watching Roma. So beautiful. So what else? Now, I feel like I've been watching so much, I'm not even remembering. Oh, this is an American show, but Good Girls is really good. I'm, like, so upset that I, like, ate through the entire first season in one sitting. I should have paced myself. Where, um, where is that show? All of these shows I'm telling you are on, on, are oh. on Netflix. Um, okay. But Good Girls, it's an NBC show, and it's basically three women. One's a suburban housewife, one is like a suburban working mother, and one is a suburban um, single mother. They rob a grocery store <laughs> for money. Actually, I did go on Netflix, and I added it to my list. So mm-hmm. perhaps later on during the day, you'll start getting texts about it. Yeah, Good Girls is really good. I think you'll like it. I'll end with this because I watched so much, but I'm like blanking out right now. I Zombie. I Zombie. I hate zombie stuff too. And I even tweeted this. I've been tweeting about this because I'm so surprised about how much I like it. She turns into a zombie and they explain to you how like that all happens. But it's okay. like at first you don't real you don't know why she's a zombie or why many people are zombies. 
but she turns into a zombie and then zombies eat brains and like when you eat the brain of a person you're able to have their memories so like she eats the brains of the people who have died and then she's able to solve the cases oh yeah i like that it's so it's so good i'm gonna thank you for all these recommendations I Zombie is really good. Like I, it's another one of those CW shows. I'm like, what? What is with these titles? They're so stupid. Like, <laughs> Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Oh yeah. I, like saw it. I was like, I'm not gonna watch this. How many times have I watched Crazy Ex Girlfriend now? Like seven times. <laughs> yes. And then Jane the Virgin. I'm like, this is a stupid, stupid title. <laughs> I I was the first person. Once you guys suggested to me, I was like, Jane the Virgin is amazing. Even though mm-hmm. I have my own issues with Gina Rodriguez, but the show itself is really good. Yes. So many good shows that you listed. Like, what I've been watching is nothing compared to your list. <laughs> a lot of, like, lighthearted comedies or, like, yeah. something to just, like, make you laugh. and you Yeah. I like watching more of the comedies, like the mm-hmm. family comedies. Mm. So one that I always go back to is The Goldbergs. Yeah, that's a great one. I know that their new season is out Mm because I saw it on Hulu. But right now, I'm not going to watch the new season until all the episodes are available. That is smart. I love to binge watch. Mm -hmm. So I always go back to like episode seasons one through five. Mm -hmm. And another one that's one of my favorite. And I think we covered this on another episode. But Mm -hmm. there's one on Netflix that's called Instant Hotel. Yeah. I am obsessed with those shows that talk about traveling or just exploring like properties or design in general. And Instant Hotel kind of has those elements because Mm -hmm. they talk about the overall design of an Airbnb, quote, Mm -hmm. an Airbnb. Then they also talk about improvements that you can make to it. And there's a competition going on amongst everyone that shares their home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that also adds kind of like the suspense factor because obviously you have your favorites, but then at the end it's like, oh, shoot, the one that I thought would win didn't. Mm-hmm. So I love it. That sounds like something my mom would love. She like mainlines HGTV. That's me. Mm-hmm. Your mom and I would be watching HGTV, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then for my third one, and I know you're going to get on me for this, but Shit's Creek. So good. I know you had been telling me for a while to watch it. And mm-hmm. when I first started watching it, I was like, this just sounds like rich people who think that everyone, everything is supposed to fall at their feet or whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, after a few episodes, I started realizing like, okay, they're embracing like <laughs> their new lifestyle. Yeah. The, like the whole point is like, that they that they think they are that like they're rich and they're entitled, but like life hits them, yes. and like they need they need to get it together, and that people live like this, not the <laughs> other way around. So I'm really enjoying that show, which I'm trying to watch slowly because obviously those shows are so t- they're like nuggets. They're so <laughs> short. Yes. So I slowly watch that one, even though like sometimes I'm tempted to just binge watch the entire thing, but then mm-hmm. I would have to wait for the next season. So yeah. yeah, that's what I've been doing. Very productive, right? Yeah, we are on it. <laughs> you give us a TV show and we will watch it. That's true. And speaking of, you know, watching things and 
content and like what we've been doing, which is basically taking in a lot of <laughs> a visual yeah. medium. Um, we had the great pleasure of speaking with one of my colleagues, um, classmates in film school. She was such a huge support. And when Karen would ask, like, how did you get through film school and two jobs? And like, I would often say, like, Shida was a really good um help and assistance. Um, but yeah, uh, we had the wonderful pleasure of speaking with her. She's an emerging filmmaker with so many projects. Uh, she has a film festival that's coming up and she has a film that she talks to us in this interview in depth as it relates to the Centoya um, Brown case that have been making headlines because she's very knowledgeable in this area and we have a great time um, educating ourselves and, you know, talking about activism and we, there is a bit of let's watch comedies because that's a through line. It's skincare and like comedies. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I hope you, um, enjoy the interview. Oh yeah, this feels so, so good. We them guys, let me bring you on the block. This the movie, Red Box. We don't like the Red Sox. Fire hydrants on blast when the town... Hi, y'all. Welcome to another uh, episode of From the Bronx with Love. This is our... This is going to be our third episode of the third season. This is so exciting. I'm never going to get tired of saying that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Today, we have a great interview um, guest, a close friend of mine, um, who you probably have heard me mention um, from time to time because she's such an inspiration to me as a filmmaker. And she's definitely one to keep your eye out on. Mashida Phila, who is just kicking ass and taking names and is also a Bronx native and a fellow first-generation immigrant, immigrant diaspora. Um, and I'm so happy to have her on the show today. Hi, Shida. Hi, Dom. Hi, Karen. Thank Hi. you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yes. We know you're pretty busy, so we appreciate mm-hmm. the time you took to chat with us. Okay. Yeah, we're really excited. How have you been? How is everything? Um, everything is good. We're starting the new year, so new initiatives, um, new goals, and it's just a matter of executing um, all of your plans for the upcoming year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any particular goals that you would like to share with us? Where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I know you've been working on a lot of things, but maybe pick like one thing that you would like to kind of like share with us. Well, one of the biggest things that I need to accomplish this year, well, two things. I can't Mm -hmm. just, I cannot select one. Um, I am currently working on a short film that is attached to human trafficking in the Caribbean. So my goal is to complete that film and get into um, working with some non-for-profits who are actually doing all of the activist work in getting in activating myself, I should say, mm-hmm. and getting more involved in the whole schematics dealing with the prevention of um, human trafficking and bringing more awareness to our community. That's one thing that I am working on for this year. And the second thing that I'm working on is um, starting a film festival in the Caribbean, specifically Grenada, where I'm from. So that is going to be taking place in May 
of 2019. So keep your fingers crossed that everything goes off without a hitch, you know? <laughs> it, so. I would say just on the basis of looking at it, it looks so sleek and professional. Well, I also have to attribute credit to um, my team. Yeah. I have a very um, strong industry support from um the women and one token guy <laughs> can i say that <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and our one token guy on our team um dealing with all caribbean and um caribbean um professionals film filmmakers producers uh fixers um and then yeah in the caribbean so it's a combination of my experiences their experiences i think that is making the festival um look as polished as it is right now and we're getting a lot of positive um responses from filmmakers both regionally and internationally so we're excited about that that is exciting um i wanted to touch on what you mentioned before about activating your activism or like it's acting as a vehicle for you to not only express yourself creatively but to promote a lot of the social justice causes that you are interested in I remember prior to planning um this interview Karen sent me an email about Centoya Brown which Mm -hmm. I you know if you've been living under a rock then you don't know what's been going on but I was like, I know the perfect person to reach out to who ha- who like is dabbling, not even dabbling, but like you're in this, like you are, <laughs> you are in this, um, you know, making content about this and like meeting people and talking to experts and doing your own research. But I actually wanted to, like, from a filmmaker's perspective, who's very activist and social conscious driven, like, what are your thoughts about her case specifically? I've been following her case in and out um, mm-hmm. over the years. And for me, is there are so many um, variables to start taking into consideration from the mental wellness standpoint, the psychological standpoint, the systematic standpoint um, in regards to justice, in regards to how black and brown um, children and individuals are um, treated um, when um, faced with certain issues in the in the judicial system, and specifically for her case, we have to take into account her um, age and yep. also her um, experiences growing up. And I don't think she was giving, based on the facts that were presented um, to us through um, the media. Mm-hmm. Going on that alone, I don't think she was given a fair um, chance. Um, I don't think her case was charged um, fairly. And I think they wanted to probably make an example of her. I mean, for God's sake, to get the maximum sentence um, for... uh, Granted, um, I have to put that in there. The crime that she committed um, was horrible. She took someone's life. You know, mm-hmm. but putting that aside, um, taking into consideration the element and the component that surrounded it, you can mm-hmm. understand why someone would probably respond in the way or the manner in which she did. So it's nice to see that after 15 years, she's now approximately 30 years now. Yes. You know, 
um, to be giving the opportunity, a second opportunity in life. Hopefully um, she can make something good of herself with the right um, mentorship, the right yeah. guidance upon her release. I mean, she can start her life again. You know, she has an opportunity to start over. So that is a really good thing. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that um, she was def- she was failed by the system, but long before she entered that courtroom, reading her story, mm-hmm. um, even during birth, uh, her mother, mm-hmm. I read, her mother drank really heavily, and she was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, yeah. which the prosecution used against her, and then they used the fact that her mother couldn't take care of her, so then basically was a ward of the state for as long, like longer than she hasn't been. So she went from like foster care to like juvenile correctional facilities to prison mm-hmm. in like the short amount of time that she's been alive. Yep, prior to being what sixteen. Yeah, so yeah. this all happened when she was around fifteen, sixteen initially, right? So yes. prior to that, she had her own sting with the law just the same. So um, like you, I've also read and I, um, I saw that it was something that was generational. So you're talking about from, what, three generations within her family, from her grandmother, her mother, um, and her all more or less going in and out of the same pattern, the same process, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and um, when does it stop? When does that cycle stop? This, the generational aspects and like feeling, um, having such a very, very lack of resources and feeling like your only way out mm-hmm. could be like prostitution. That is so dangerous <laughs> where like, she actually, her life for self-preservation had to kill someone. You know what I mean? Like that is such a dire place to be in society. Well, I think also we're in the Bronx, right? And we can talk about any kind of um, cosmopolitan cities or large cities whereby you have kids who are not taken care of or who are Mm -hmm. in and out of the judicial system at such a young age, you know, foster Mm -hmm. care system and the whole nine yards. Um, They are also more than likely to um, become um, victims at such a younger age. So whether or not she decided to do um, prostitution Mm -hmm. from the facts that was um, um, made public, it wasn't something that was volunteer. It was something that was involuntarily um, practiced, you know, under the guise of someone else. that express that they loved and care for her because as kids, as individuals, all we need or all we want or all we desire sometime in life is to feel appreciated and loved by someone. And especially when you're coming from brokenness, mm-hmm. anyone can take advantage of you. And most times you're seeing that um, being replayed all the time um, through victims and survivors, you know, who unfortunately ends up in situations that are adverse in like her situation. Yeah. 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 I don't want to like, um, I don't want to like uh, do a broad brush and say like everyone who ends up in prostitution, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's a dire straight. Yeah. Um, but yes, like that's very good that you mentioned that, that it is involuntary and that, that 
the media and even I slipped up a little bit in thinking that it um, they're not very good at saying what it is, which is sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. She was trafficked into this. Well, part of um, part of the write up was I think the reason why she was convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not um, consider her as being a juvenile who were involuntarily practicing the act of prostitution. Um, So she was convicted under the guise of um, sex worker or prostitution, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't take into account her age. Got it. Um, I've read somewhere that since her case um, in Tennessee, Mm -hmm. that the laws has um, changed significantly since then. So now they're taking into account um, the, the juvenile's age mm-hmm. and they're attaching that to sex trafficking. Yeah. So it's no longer prostitution, but it's now sex trafficking because they're still considered minors. Yeah. So which is a really good thing. You know, they said sometimes in all... Um, th- what, what is it? In every dark cloud, there's a silver lining. And sometimes we all have to experience um, unfortunate things for other people to benefit. And in a case like hers, um, her experiences and um, of being prosecuted and sent to jail also was very good in a larger scale because now it propelled the state to take a more... Um, in-depth look at yeah. how um, brown and black um, youths are being charged in situations like this. And now they revamped their laws to include the element of the sex trafficking for juveniles, So, which is a very good thing. I wanted to um, ask you mm-hmm. about the sex trafficking at large um, because I feel like you have a, a wealth of knowledge there. Because, <laughs> um, oh, really? you're, you're basically, when you talk about, you know, it being in the, you're talking about it, this is like in the United States, but it's not only, it's not an anomaly and, and it's not something that's inherent to the United States. When you're talking about the Caribbean, uh, it's like the Americas mm-hmm. in general. And um, in your research and what you've been doing, what are you finding is like, how do I word this question? <laughs> Not like, what are you finding? Like, what's the cause? But like, what, why is it so prevalent? I guess is what I want to know. Um, from the research that I've been doing, there are basic, um, there are common elements, right? Co- right. Common, um, motivators or, mm-hmm. um, that is, um, um, making this industry such a large industry. And like any other organized, because it, it is an organized industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it have some people like, how can I say? It's almost like the drug industry. I don't, I'm not an expert. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, either one, but based on the research that is out there, you're seeing that if you're taking the drug industry you have from the very high all the way to the to the to the bottom, right? The guys mm-hmm. on the street who are just the workers. Mm-hmm. It's almost the same thing. There is a demand. We as human beings have desires and we have vices. Mm-hmm. And that is also attached to um brokenness and is also attached to poverty. So you're seeing a marriage between societal ills versus mm-hmm. our own demands and vices as human beings that is causing this as a cycle to continue. Prostitution mm-hmm. has been something that has been around forever, mm-hmm. longer than you and I have ever been <laughs> walking the, this earth, you know, and longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, what is the driving factor for it? Sometimes is a stress reliever from the the the, the participants' point of view. You know, mm-hmm. there is um, I need to get I need to get off, and I need to find someone to get off for me. There are multiple reasons why this is happening. Mm-hmm. In regards to the question you asked me about why I think it is um, so prevalent, I mm-hmm. think um, it has a lot to do with the economy. Yeah. The financial strains right now that a lot of people are are in, are experiencing. And you tend to see this is happening within um, communities that are predominantly um, impoverished, you know, mm-hmm. um, or high-end communities where they feel that they can purchase anything that their hearts desire. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it all depends on the spectrum that you're looking at. In the Caribbean specifically, um, I am seeing that there is a direct correlation with um, with the poverty aspect of it. Mm-hmm. How some nations are extremely poor and parents as well as individuals are volunt- Some of them are engaging involuntarily and some of them are engaging voluntarily in right. the act. Yeah, I I do agree with what you're saying, especially with the fact that when you mentioned earlier that obviously when you come from a broken home, you're Mm -hmm. looking for that person to like give you love and care for you. And a lot of people will see that and prey on that one Mm -hmm. fact and like promise you like, oh, if you come with me, I'm going to take care of you Mm -hmm. and you won't have to worry about money. And they promise them all these things. And obviously that's what you are like what you need and so you easily fall into that trap i was watching this documentary karen and um the thing that stood out um it stood out to me now that we're talking about it is one of the um activists who were interviewed i can't remember the name of the documentary that i was looking at but this particular um statement stood out for me and she said she said that a lot of the victims that you're seeing coming through they tend to fall in the in the space of um, articulated manipulators, right? Mm-hmm. Who basically now gives the, the kid or give that individual their time. Most times we don't have parents who would spend five minutes listening to us or a loved one who would ask us what is going on in our lives. But then they would go out there and they would find this person who actually would say, talk to me. They would take two, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours just listening to them. And the point of them listening to them is to get to know every single thing about that child. But from the child's perspective, they care. 
Yeah. This is someone who finally is listening to me, you know, and they feel that sense of, oh my God, that person really loves me and that person really cares. So that is how they get into the mind, the mental part of manipulating individuals. So now I hold you because I know every single thing about you. You're really not, no pun intended, but you're right on the money when it comes to economics. I think in a system where it's highly exploitable, sex trafficking specifically can thrive because like you said, people are promised very material things Mm -hmm. and they become exploited and entrapped Mm -hmm. when, you know, they fall for that promise and it's not even like they fall for it or um they're they're the ones who are naive it's not really that it's that's how the system is set up to have very few people profit off of a large group of um laborers Mm -hmm. and through like any means necessary yeah. And, and, and I think um, what you said, it is absolutely right. And we have to put that um, clarity there that sex trafficking is only a component of yes. the larger human trafficking aspect of it. Because yes. there are, mel- there are um, multifaceted um, categories of trafficking in general. Yeah. You have trafficking for labor. You have labor trafficking whereby people are promised um, um, opportunities somewhere else and then when they get to that location and it can be right here domestically just the same I can leave the Bronx and go to Manhattan and become um, enslaved in someone's space yeah. and it's only what 30 minutes away from my home you know mm-hmm. so there you have the labor aspect to it you have the um, the, the um, the sex aspect to it, you have the organ part of it where people mm-hmm. are now being kidnapped and mm-hmm. for medical purposes, you know, so you have that aspect too um, that, you know, is very hard to prove, but it do happen, you know. So their trafficking on its own is just that big, broad categorization of it, but then you're starting to break it down now and there are different elements to it. And um, I think a lot of people shy away. I, a lot of people shy away from the whole trafficking thing because I remember when I started my research, mm-hmm. I got involved in this because I was commissioned actually okay. by another organization who was um, dealing with the whole um, sexual education aspect of trafficking here in America. Mm-hmm. And I came home and I said, but we're talking about here. What about the Caribbean? Does that even exist in the Caribbean? And I was floored through the research that I was finding on data provided by the UN and other organizations mm-hmm. um, that does global um, research. And to see that so many different Caribbean countries and the Americas, meaning like Latin American countries and, and South American countries that were on the quote-unquote UN watch list um, mm-hmm. for human trafficking. I was like, wow, I did not even recognize that this was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you have countries like in the, um, well, we all know that like places like Haiti and the, mm-hmm. um, and the DR and yeah. Puerto Rico, those are places that you continuously hear mentioned, right? But you don't yeah. really hear the Bahamas, but you really don't hear of smaller countries being involved in these things. And then I was seeing countries like Barbados that's there, um, 
St. Vincent, St. Lucia on the list, you have Trinidad. So what you're finding now is places that are heavily um, connected with the tourism flow to, the migration yeah. flow, you're seeing that these kind of pockets is now being trickled down. And I'm not saying that those nations are not doing everything to combat the problem. But again, when you're starting to have these conversations, are the people being trafficked internally or are they being um, trafficked externally, meaning that they leave the countries voluntarily and become victims in other locations? Or is the act being taken care of directly on the Caribbean islands? Mm -hmm. So for me, I know I'm from... Um, Grenada. And when I went to Grenada and I started to have conversations surrounding that, I was told that there is no human trafficking in Grenada. Because again, remember, human trafficking is the big um, umbrella, the, term. umbrella term. So when you hear trafficking, these things don't happen. But now if you start to say, okay, um, is kids engaging in, in sexual encounters involuntarily for exchange of money? You see, it may be termed differently somewhere else than we would term it here in America. So you're finding that disconnect and discrepancy in how things are being placed on the books. So um, I had, you know, it, it's a lot, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of sitting down and doing observations and analyzing things versus you just dumping everything into one category. Um, last year, the UN did a massive sweep. And I think they freed about almost 300 um, labor, laborers who were trafficked for, um, who were trafficked for, for that purpose mm -hmm. to become laborers in, um, I believe in like um, South, um, South America. Um, Guyana and Venezuela, I think, were on the list where they did that massive um, um, bus. So you're you're asking yourself, how do we combat these things? And I, the answer is, I don't know. I think it's one case at a time. I think it's persons like us becoming activated and start raising awareness. Like the film that I am doing, because I don't have any data to really support it in the Caribbean per se, I pulled from different elements. I got inspired from different elements that I've been reading throughout. And I actually script something that touched on the first catalyst of it, which is um, kidnapping, you oh, know? Okay. So I framed it in that term. You're not being trafficked per se, um, but you're kidnapped and you're taken away. So that is still that it falls in the neat, the, the umbrella term of trafficking, but it's highlighting the point of being kidnapped. So that's another component to where people are taken involuntarily and forced to perform certain things. You have some of us who are leaving voluntarily. Speaking about what you were just saying, Shida, mm -hmm. it reminded me of a series that I saw. I believe it was like late last year. It's called La Promesa. Okay. And it's, it's about that, about human trafficking. And, but these women are kidnapped mm -hmm. and then taken to Spain 
to mm. work as, you know, prostitutes. And so these girls come from Colombia and Mexico in this particular series. Yes. And it just covers the point of how the predators basically convince them in order to like leave their home and mm -hmm. come live with them. And it touches on like several cases from different girls as to like what led them to that situation. Mm -hmm. And it also shows about how the government had some some type of involvement because they were the, the, the pimps, I guess, were pretty quick to get like their papers and mm -hmm. everything in order in order to take them out of the country legally. Mm -hmm. And so obviously once they get to Spain, it also covers upon like different aspects as to how they're sold and to who. Mm -hmm. And it also touches upon organs. Mm -hmm. So I think like, It has subtitles, so I'm pretty sure, like, you would be able to watch it because at the beginning of each episode, they present, like, facts about human trafficking. Mm. And then it obviously takes you into, like, the next episode. But it really, like, I think, like you said, a lot of people, like, don't talk about it as much and they don't know, like, all the different levels that the whole umbrella of trafficking covers i am still learning every time you pick up the, a book or you see something or you read something it's like you're learning because technically this is not our world you know we're not aware of it and as you just highlighted through the series this is a business this is an organized business so someone like myself who are just starting to poke my head into certain things. Mm -hmm. I also have to be very careful because as a filmmaker, because you have no idea who it is you're speaking to, yeah. you know, and now you become a threat and you know, um, this is a big part of, um, um, security issues for us as documentary filmmakers, mm -hmm. you know, Now, security, 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 hence the reason why when you're doing certain things, you have to have handlers making sure that the people and the sources that you are going to meet are credited sources because you stand to get yourself in trouble just the same. And because there are so many different players and so many different levels and so many with so many different pockets, like the depth of their pockets is way more than yours. <laughs> you're mm -hmm. just, um, what is that word? Um, You're insignificant. Mm -hmm. You're just something that could easily be just discarded. You understand me? An obstacle that, okay, they're taking care of. So it's like we are tasked with the responsibility of starting to create things that were, um, raise awareness. But then at the same time, we also have to be very mindful to protect ourselves. Because, like, it, you know, the snap of your fingers, um, you can get yourself into some serious um, Yeah. Um, problems yeah protect yourself and you know it, the subjects as well because exactly. when the cameras leave exactly not everyone leaves the situation that yeah. they're in and you know this is part of the training that we got through the program that empathy goes a long way and as filmmakers as directors and as producers we are tasked with the proper representation of our subjects. Our subjects believe in us. Yeah. Hence the reason why they open up to us. So we have to be very respectful um, of them, their stories, their experiences, and also try to provide like follow-up 
measures for them depending on what it is you are um, dealing with. And in mm-hmm. a situation like this, it's, it's, it's a lot. How do you um, maintain the level of like creativity or, you know, that motivation to continue to tell these stories without being too brought down by these like really difficult subjects? How are you mentally and emotionally and spiritually as a... (laughs) As a filmmaker, how do you how do you balance or how do you navigate actually rather? That is um, that is an an, um, an awesome question, and um, to be quite honest, sometimes it is very tasking on you as um, on myself. I'm speaking for myself, my own personal experiences. It is very tasking for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, what people have to understand is. The cameras are on sometimes depending on the interview um, sessions. The camera might be on for one or two hours or three hours if you're following someone. Let's just say hypothetically you're shooting for two weeks. So for two weeks you have the cameras on. Mm -hmm. Then you're sitting with the footage for um, months yeah. And you're becoming um, enthralled. It could be hard. It's, it's really, really hard on you emotionally. Mm-hmm. I can speak from this particular film that I'm working on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I shot this film. I wrote the darn thing. We went on location. Yeah. We shot the darn thing. Mm-hmm. I know that it's fictitious because I was there. Mm-hmm. But just the elements that we are touching on was so hard for me to deal with that there was certain aspects in the footage that I just could not bring myself to wrap my head around. Like every single time that I'm watching it, I'm grossed out by it. Yeah. And I literally had to put it down because it was bringing me down and I had to now start, um, looking at positive things to build mm-hmm. myself back up, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not just something that is um, affecting um, the, the, the subjects, but it also affects the filmmaker. It affects the people who are um, working intimately with the footage mm-hmm. and you're still taking it in your head that you have a responsibility to get the um, subject's story right. It's yeah. not about it's not about your own personal gains, but it's for the bigger purpose of getting the the subject's stories right mm-hmm. and making sure that their voices are articulated in the way you demonstrate it in your final product. So it's a lot. Yeah. And, um, I think most filmmakers take a drink after that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, we were earlier talking about, you know, you know, using the green, but like, I've noticed that like filmmakers and like people in the industry like smoke like it's no <laughs> other. Like we can smoke. We are like on par with Rastafarians. 
<laughs> Listen to me, dog. <laughs> I am not a smoker, but there are days I'm like, where is that thing? Let me get a pull. I have yeah. no idea what it's going to feel like. <laughs> Girl, you are going to feel like you're on a cloud. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, someone um, two weeks ago told me, a mentor of mine told me two weeks ago that you as a director and filmmaker, your ultimate outcome would be either um, an alcoholic, a drug addict, (laughs) or a sex addict. (laughs) Because we need some kind of thing, some kind of vice to either celebrate the, the, um, the, the success or to cope with. And I'm like, oh my goodness, if that's where I'm heading, I, I have to reconsider a different um, career path. <laughs> I definitely know, know what you're talking about. Because full disclaimer, listeners, uh, Shida and I are also working on a film. <laughs> I told you she's an inspiration because she is a busy, busy woman. Oh, um, thank you. You're welcome. But I'm doing a bulk of the research and I I'm I I speak about going to therapy a lot on this show mm-hmm. um and I remember one session two weeks ago three weeks ago actually um where I was uh taking some time and I'm reading a lot about reproductive justice and there's mm-hmm. just been more stories about prominent black women I don't know if you know the rapper Remy Ma who also you know raps the bomb um (laughs) yeah she um almost died Mm -hmm. two days after giving birth so that like really shook me but I remember speaking about this in therapy and I was like if I raise money for anything for this film it's to get a research assistant because I cannot shoulder all of this research about Black and Latino women dying in these United States of America while giving birth. One, because I find it, the story is incredibly heartbreaking and they're really, they're really prevalent, at least with the people I've talked, spoken to, people who are in my community. I know about five families who've been affected personally in within my community. And I'm also the demographic. Mm -hmm. Like, that is such a toll on you mentally. I'm like, I am a Black woman of childbearing age who, like, I could just, like, I could could die, like, giving birth. And, like, it crosses um, socioeconomic status. Oh, yes. Which is also scary. People think money um, inoculates them from certain things. You've told me this before because I'm like, I love Beyonce. And you're like, well, Beyonce is just a woman. She's going to have woman problems. Yeah. Beyonce, Serena Williams, Gabrielle Ma, Union. Gabri- Gabrielle Union. Mm-hmm. These women arguably probably be very, very, very rich at least very rich oh, among the African-American Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And if they're subject to this, what about little old me, mm-hmm. who's like a broke film student, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it does take a toll on you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, there are days that I'm just laying up in bed and a friend of mine told me that I need to start watching comedies to kind yes. of release, <laughs> yep. really, you know, release some of that tension. And then you have to take into account my personality. I'm an introvert. In addition to being an introvert, I tend, I'm, I tend to be very um, indifferent about a lot of things, but yet at the same time, I'm very emotional about a lot of things. I don't know if that makes sense, you know? 
And what you're finding is that part of the emotions now I tend to absorb mm-hmm. the issues of other people into mm-hmm. me because I'm an introvert. So I'm finding that sometimes now is becoming a challenge in articulating a lot of things. So I am learning, especially by handling all of that kind of uh, emotionally told um, research and project that we are working on that I have to start finding ways to separate it if I need to save my sanity and serve other people to the best of my abilities. So I, I, I'm discovering comedy. I, I had disconnected from comedy for a very long time, especially when we were going to school, we didn't have time to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So I'm slowly getting back into that routine <laughs> of laughing more. Um, not going out as often. I think I need to go out a little bit more, but um, finding that balance. To do you really know where to find Karen? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really need to do that. I really need to go dancing a little bit more. Plus it's cold. So, you know, I'm not going to say when it's cold, but in the mm-hmm. summertime, Karen. Summertime. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was like, mm, not right now because it's too cold. It's I too cold. have a cute outfit. And so, of course, you know, we're, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm black. So I don't like the cold. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, you immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> I know, no. My nephew who were born here, he loved to call me. Um, no, no. I was no. just saying that in the intro, I was like, I thrive in the winter. I, I've said this before in the beginning, but I really, really want to highlight this: is that you, you utilize your filmmaking, yes, as a really great creative um, outlet, but I like how you frame it as um a service to others and i think um when people you do this with artwork and it's not really about the artist's ego and like how smart and brilliant their content is but rather how they're able to um bring empathy like you said to a scale a mass scale to people who normally wouldn't be having these conversations like I mean, as a as a filmmaker, I know where my strengths um, and weaknesses lie. Mm-hmm. Like there are um, persons who are more talented than I am as um, videographers, mm-hmm. as DPs, editors. Um, mm-hmm. But um, to conceptualize stories and to hone in on someone's emotions. I think that's what separates you from the other person. Yeah. And you can have individuals who have all the funding and all the finances in the world, and they can have um, all the glitz and, and glamour to make a production. But if there isn't any connecting thread of emotions to drive the story, then it's just a flat something. You know, it's just a visual portrayal of beautiful images with nothing to connect the dots. And if you think about it, as human beings, it doesn't matter where you're from. We all are more alike than different. And we all throw emotions. We all feel, we all cry, we all hurt, we all love. Circumstances surrounding it might be different. Our um, interpretation of things might be different. But when it comes down to the core of it, if Karen is a white woman and she loses her mother 
and Dan is um, a Filipino person and she loses her mother. And I am, I don't know, an African person and I lose my mother. The, the, the experience of loss is what connects all of us together. So yeah. my loss is no greater are different from your loss, but we mm-hmm. all experience that. And I think that's what makes us um, talented, dumb, and um, special. And if we can able to draw that emotion and, and connecting it, um, that's what makes our storytelling um, better. And I'm discovering this as an emerging filmmaker myself, mm-hmm. um, that if I stay true to that aspect of it, I will be successful Yeah, and don't lose sight of it. And the same with you in your writing. If you stay true to that element, because mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when I'm reviewing your work, I'm like, Dom, where's the emotions? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Dom, I'm not feeling it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we really have to stay true to that. I think it's great what you're doing, that you continue to do it. And obviously, yes, always take some time for yourself to just like unwind and just mm-hmm. kind of like separate from everything that you're doing because it's good. Mm-hmm. So whether you go dancing or have a brownie, <laughs> yeah, something to take care of yourself. A glass of wine. You're, you're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're putting so much work. But you also need to like focus on taking care of yourself to, so that you have the energy and the health to continue doing it. Thank you. I'll remember that. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you want you know our listeners to know? Go follow. Go do whatever. I want everyone to know you. So <laughs> when you're on the stage accepting your Oscar, everyone's like, everyone at least in the Bronx be like, we've been on that. We know that's our girl. <laughs> Uh, well, um, I would like to give your audience an opportunity to actually, if they are filmmakers, if they are brown and Latin, um, brown and, and black filmmakers, um, an opportunity to submit their work for consideration. We have extended the deadlines for the film festival um, in Grenada. That is on Film Freeway. So all of the submissions is going to be taking place online. And basically, I did not even say the mission of the film festival, right? So the film festival is called 12 Degrees North, 61 Degrees West, Grenadian Film Festival. And that is based in the Caribbean um, on the island of Grenada. And it will be taking place uh, May uh, 3rd through the 5th of 2019. And the whole objective of this is to showcase um, Black content, Black um, content from the Caribbean, um, the Americas, and the African diaspora that is dealing with positive imagery about who we are as people, our communities, our life, our social experiences. It will be showcased in, in the Caribbean, so it's a destination uh, festival. You can you can't go wrong with that in the winter. <laughs> So if people are interested, it's our first. So it is our inaugural um, festival, but we are working really, really hard on trying to foster partnerships with international industry partners. So I think it's safe to say it. Um, we have Seed and Spark, who is looking to come on board to do workshop presentation for us. Um, so this is a really nice um thing you know to help us with crowdfunding because as we know funding is always a big 
thing for independent filmmakers, distribution and um, monetizing your work. So, which is which is really really awesome. And then we have some regional um, individuals who are coming in to who have committed anyway, providing that we get the funding to make sure that all this. Um, connects well um, to do workshops on um, story development and um, film scoring. So we have a really um, interesting lineup. We're just looking for supporters also, like stakeholders who are going to come in and help us with monetary contributions to make all this come to fruition. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that great information. (laughs) Well, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to reach a different set of audiences. Absolutely. All right. Well, okay. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dom and Karen, and yeah. all the best with the wonderful work you're doing, repping the Bronx and all of <laughs> the beautiful, colorful individuals that are using this as our hometown. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we needed something like this. Yeah, one day we'll just like get together. Probably not even one day, because um, I know Shida will just wake up and be like, "Okay, we're doing a documentary on the Bronx." <laughs> and then we're like, "How are we finding the funding?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it'll be called "From the Bronx with Love," a documentary. I like that. Ooh. There we go! Yay! So you see, now we have our camera person, we have our writer, we have yeah. our director. <laughs> You just have to find the other crew. I now. really need <laughs> people to understand this is actually Shida's process. This was her in film school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, Dom, people do ask me that question, and I'm like, how do you respond to that? I don't know. I, I, don't know. I really actually don't know. I just get up. Yep. That's the best. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. This podcast was executive produced by Karen Almonte. You can follow us on social media to keep up with your favorite Bronx ladies. From the Bronx with Love is part of Anthology House Media. 